You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Come on, guys, it's time to switch on your faith if it's not on already. I reckon it takes an intentioned action to get your heart ready for the Word of God. It's easy to go through the motions, hey. And uh, I want to go away from church changed when I go to church. I don't want to go and then, you know, go away the same. I want to change, not just for my sake either, but for the sake of the people around me that I care about and I love, I love very much, that God continues to do a transformational work in my heart. I've not arrived, I've not finished, I've not made it. But God's still working on me and so that he can work through me. And I believe that's true for everybody in this room. So let's get our faith switched on as we read this key scripture from the word of God. It's in Romans chapter 4. And it says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, which is what had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. That's what was said. Without weakening in his faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred. I think you stop counting. That's why it says about a hundred. Like, is there an age where you stop counting? There must be. Uh, since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb, that's his wife, was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Listen to this key phrase. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do all that he had promised. Can you imagine? Yeah, one or the other guy. <laughs> Clap or don't. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine what it would be like to live fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he's promised? We're in week three of this new series, or week three can't be new anymore, I guess. We're in week three of this series, Keep the Change, as Matt was telling us about before. I know that in week one, Pastor Lee was talking about contentment, dealing with or destroying discontentment. And then last week, we talked about the power of the biblical principle of tithing. It seems that in our church, when there's a message about when things go wrong, They sort of give the reins over to me. When we did our family series a few weeks ago, Pastor Glynn talked about the power of uh, when family works, it's like poetry in motion. And then week two was, okay, when it doesn't work, it's like a shipwreck. And so they got me on board. And I've got the same job today in that sense, is that I want to talk to you about when things don't go right in this area of your life. The point of this series is to support you as you face the facts, just like Abraham did. We're not the kind of church where we just sweep stuff under the carpet, where we just put on a brave face and just, you know, you have to be okay all the time. No, we're the kind of church that goes, all right, let's just, let's just face the facts. Let's just say it as it is. But then we want to create an environment where you can get a word from God because the combination of the facts, as bad as they may be, and the power of the truth of the word of God gets traction in your life. So we want to create that environment through this series. But then we want to step back and celebrate as we watch you live a life fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he's promised. 
Today's message is called Money Relationship Fails. Money Relationship Fails. Let's pray before you take your seats. Father, for these next 10 to 15 minutes that we have, we pray that you would speak to us. We open our hearts to you. We choose to apply your word to, to ourselves, to us. We're not going to apply this word to our spouse or someone who's not in the room, but we're going to open our hearts to hear your voice. Thank you that you are speaking to us. You are busy, you are working, you're doing something, and we choose to line up our hearts with you in this moment so that we can get into that rhythm of what you are saying and what you're doing and your perspective and your heart because there's no better life than a life lived in the bullseye of where you want us to be. So we choose that in this moment right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Come on, shout it. Amen. Fantastic. Before you take seats, why don't we thank this brilliant worship team. Thanks so much, guys. <laughs> Someone get Sarah a cloth. She needs a cloth. All right, you can take your seats. So um, in 2005, okay, my relationship with money started to fail. We moved house from uh, the house that we bought when we first got married, a two-bed terrace, to a semi-detached. It was a big step for us, and uh, it was awesome. But in the 12 months that followed, we had a couple of things happen, um, not all bad, but things happened that kick-started what I now know was a decade of disaster when it comes to finance, uh, really 10 years of emotional turmoil. You see, we moved house, and then we were like, more bedrooms, more babies, right? And we had one, and we thought, let's get another one, <laughs> get one, like, from the shop. I mean, like, you know, we, let's have another baby. And so we had our second child, my youngest son, his name's Parker, he's... 14, he's about to turn 15 on Thursday, and uh, we're excited about that. Um, and so we had another child, so our mortgage had gone up because we moved house. We, we bought our first house in 1999 when they were just like chucking houses away to people, and our mortgage was like £232 a month. And then we upgraded, or we went at a, a different time in the housing market to a semi-detached, and our mortgage more than doubled, in fact nearly tripled, and then we had another child, and then I lost my job. And so what happened was we, I, you know, take full responsibility for it, but I led our family into, like I said, a really difficult season. And I want to share some of that journey with you today, not because I want you to feel sorry for me, because, you know, spoiler alert, we got out of the situation that we were in, and I'll tell you more details about that in a second. But I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for me, and neither am I, you know, trying to be a bit of a prophet of doom, you know, kind of big warning, you know, everything's going to go wrong for you. But what I do want to do is give you a frame of reference to answer two key questions. Those key questions for this message today, and I suppose for the whole series, there will be others too, but these specifically, is what is my relationship with money like, or how is my relationship with money? Now, that's a strange expression, I'll talk about it in a second, to have a relationship with a thing. But we'll come to that. So that's what the first key question. The second one is, what am I going to do about it? How is my relationship with money and what am I going to do about it? It's a strange expression that Pastor Mark in Manchester on the first week of this series used. I don't know if Lee used it here, but Pastor Mark used this expression, your relationship with money. And it's a, a bit of an odd one. Like, how do you have a relationship with a thing? You know, our main context for relationships is other people, of course. But I would say there's five key relationships that have a massive impact on your life. And if they're healthy and growing and, and good, then they're like poetry in motion. They can create moments of beauty and, and, and eternity and all of that. 
But if they go wrong, they can zap the spark that you have. They can extinguish the spark you have. They can suck the life out of you. And you end up, like I did, becoming unrecognizable as the person that you are from who, who you should be or who you were. People would say to me when we were in bucket loads of debt, they would say, without knowing our situation, they would say, really, what's happened to you? you like, you've lost your mojo. You've lost your, like, who are you these days? And, and it was because this particular relationship began to fail. Here's the five relationships. Number one is your relationship with God. And I put that first because it should come first because it is the key relationship that will define all your other relationships. That's where you get your sense of identity from. That's where you get your call and your purpose from. comes from your relationship with God. It is number one. It should be number one. It should always be number one. And the reason why in church on a Sunday we're so, we're so kind of um, uh, prescribed or descriptive from the platform is because we know that that order changes through the week. You get distracted, you've got other things going on in your life, you come to church and we go, come on, let's worship. Come on, lift your hands. Come on, stand to your feet. Come on, say this. Look at your neighbor and do that. We're not trying to be American. What we're trying to do is get God back in, in the forefront of our minds because that's where he belongs. So that's the first one. The second one is his people, and that's the context that we know relationships uh, happen in. I'm not just talking fellow believers. I'm just talking all the people that God's put in your life. Thank God for them. That's why in church we're always saying join a small group, join a team. It's not because you know, we want to put the numbers up or look good compared to the church down the road. What we're doing is recognize that a key relationship in your life is, is other people. You know, the Bible says, confess your sins to God and you will be forgiven. Can't, your friends can't forgive you. Only God can do that. But then in another verse in James, it says, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. So there's something that God chooses to do through our relationships that bring healing and momentum and change into our lives. It's a key one. Number three is a relationship with his house. A bit strange to have a relationship with a building. But what I'm talking about here is people say things to me like, well, the problem with the church is dot, dot, dot. And they say what their problem is. And I say to them, well, who are you talking about? Are you talking about me? And they say, no, Pastor Paul, you're great. And I say, okay, you're talking about Pastor Glynn, the big dog, the main man, the boss. And they go, no, 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 Pastor Glynn's awesome. I love Pastor Glynn's preaching. And I can never get to the bottom of who the person is that they're talking about because they're not talking about a person. They're talking about this idea, this institution in their minds. So we have a relationship with the house of God. And when it gets out of whack, when it gets out of sync, when it's not right, it can have a massive impact on your life. Your relationship with money, which I'm going to talk about now for the next 10 minutes or so. And then also your relationship with time and space. How many people look at their calendar and go, I just need an extra day a week, Lord. That's it. Just an extra hour a day just to actually, you know, take some, because we've got to get, once you get out of rhythm, I think that's what's happened to the church in lockdown. People got out of the rhythm of going to church and started going, well, we'll just go to church as and when, or we'll just go to church once a month, or church is negotiable. And let me tell you, as someone who, whose child just turned 18, not Parker, but the other one, the one that was born first, Riley just turned 18, and I'm telling you now, there is no way on God's earth, as now as I relinquish some, some, not all I keep telling him, but some of my responsibilities as he's now an adult on paper, right, I, there's no way I would have wanted him to spend less time in church in the last 18 years. Ask a parent of a kid who's now gone away from God if you would like to go back and make sure you put church as a priority in the rhythm of your life. Because if church is negotiable for you now, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, but I'm just on one for a second. If church is negotiable now, don't expect it to be non-negotiable when your kids are 18 and they can do whatever they want 
That phrase has been used a lot since the 6th of June, 7th of June in my house. I'm 18 and I can do what I want. Lord, help me. Uh, But these relationships are super, super powerful. And that's why the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart in Proverbs. Because God knows that the heart is the arena where our relationships are conceived and cultivated and grown and, and developed in our hearts. And like a contaminated headwater would produce toxic streams, the same is true of your heart. You get your heart right with God, you get it right there, and then, because that's what it says, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it, like streams from a headwater. So we've got to get our hearts right. What I want to do then, if, um, if it's okay, is don't forget the two key questions. What's your relationship with money like? How's your relationship with money? And what can I do about it? Some of you might be saying, um, I just wish I had some money to have a relationship with, really. It's just a few quid would be like, I'll, I'll give me money problems because I just need some money. Maybe you're um, at the other end of the scale and you're kind of like, you know, you've got, you've got like a blasé kind of whatever will be, will be kind of approach. You saw, all right, it'll work out in the end. Maybe you've got some goals and some vision and some God sort of thoughts and dreams about your finances. But God cares about your relationship with money. He does because it's the second most talked about thing in the Bible after love, money, and our relationship with it. So things like greed and contentment and other things like that. That's second to love. That's the most spoken about thing in the Bible. So God's not ashamed. He's not sweeping it under the carpet. He's not embarrassed. He's not like, oh gosh, we have to talk about money. God's like, let's talk about it because it's affecting your life and it's affecting your future and it's affecting your children's future, which we'll come to at the end of this message. So what I'm going to do is two halves, right, in the time that we have left. I'm going to do some signs of a money relationship fail, okay? Because sometimes this stuff is a blind spot. Nobody makes a decision to to mess this up in their lives. No one consciously goes, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do this and it'll be a nightmare. I didn't do that. But what happened was incrementally, decision by decision, um, mistake by mistake, um, whatever, I found myself in a, in, a, in a poverty trap, in a situation that I could not really perceive how I could get out of it. And I entered into survival mode, which we'll come to in a sec. But um, I think it'd be good for us to just apply the, the word of God to ourselves, not to our spouse. No elbows in this message, right? No allowed. No elbows allowed in this message. Don't be texting someone who isn't here going, this message is for you. I want you to think about what God is saying to you in this moment. Not the fake you either, because that's the other thing we do. We apply the word of God to the you that we pretend to everyone else that we are, and then we wonder why the word of God is not working in our lives. It's because we try to apply it to a fake version of who we are. I'm talking about the guy who puts a head on the pillow at night, and you're not trying to impress anyone, and you're alone with your own thoughts. That's what, who Jesus died for. So apply the word of God to that. And I want you to think about these signs of a money relationship fail. And then we're going to take a turn. So don't, don't like, stay with me if this message goes like this, like another sign, another sign. And you're like, Pastor Lee, come back. What is this guy doing? Uh, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm uh, Paul from Manchester. Forgot to say that. I am part of the team here at Audacious. This is my church. And uh, I love you guys. Love you pastors. Love all, many of the leaders in here. We know you well. And uh, yeah, anyway. Just, just in case you were like, uh, Lee, some guy from, from Bolton has just rocked up in Chester. No one seems to be doing anything. Um, and then after we've done that, when your faith is, is just an ember, I want you to start <laughs> just blowing that faith because then we're going to talk about how we got traction. Because Zoe and I, my wife's called Zoe, we were in a situation where if nothing changed, 
well, I just, I just I don't know where we'd be and what we'd be doing right now. But actually, like I said before, spoiler alert, we got out of the situation that we're in and we moved from, from surviving to actually discovering all that God's got for us. Um, and, you know, generosity is so powerful. But if you feel like you don't have the power to be generous, you literally miss out on so much of what God has for you. And, uh, and that's the phase that we're in now, just trying to explore what God's got instead of just get through the day. So we'll come to that as well in a moment. So here's some signs of a money relationship fail. Number one, the tail is wagging the dog. The tail is wagging the dog. Strange dog. Strange expression. But let me read this verse to you from Isaiah chapter 10. In verse 15, it says, Does the axe itself, sorry, does the axe raise itself above the person who swings it, or the saw boast against the one who uses it? As if a rod were to wield the person who lifts it up, or a club brandish the one who is not wood. I mean, this is like a strange image. Imagine an, an axe swinging a person at a tree. This is an Old Testament uh, uh, verse where God is using the prophet Isaiah to say to the children of Israel, side note, the children of Israel is like a picture for us in 2021 of the church. So we can sort of listen to what God said to them and find some truth for us in, in 2021. We can apply it there. But this is God saying to them, hey, there is a divine order and you are out of it. You're out of order. It's like God saying, look, you, it's like the axe is is wielding the person. That's not, it's like the tail is fixed and the dog is wagging everywhere. This is what God's trying to say to them. And you'll know that, that when things are out of order, you don't get the results that you want. You don't put money in a vending machine that says out of order on the front because you're not going to get your chocolate bar and you're not going to get your money back either. We all know that. And this is what God is saying. And there is a divine order, a kingdom order when it comes to money. Look at this verse in Matthew 6, 24. No one, else, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I think God put that in the Bible because he knows that we get things out of order in our life, especially in this area. And money becomes our master, and we become its slave. And if the Bible is calling you a slave, in, in any context, you know that something needs to change. Something's out of order. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. If money is the reason why you don't do stuff all the time, it's possible that you have a money relationship fail on the horizon and things are out of order. If money is the reason why you do everything that you do, do, uh, then it's possible that you have a money relationship fail and things are out of order. God is your father, you are his child, and money is not supposed to be your master. It is supposed to serve you as you pursue the call of God on your life. We're not saying in our church that money doesn't matter and it's no big deal because we understand that when it's used in the godly way, it can actually achieve great things for the kingdom of God. Number two, another sign is that money is the last or first or both thing that you think about. When we were in debt, the first thing I thought about when I woke up in the morning was money. The last thing I thought about before I went to sleep was money. I had my phone next to the bed, which is not a good idea anyway, but I would check the bank balance. I would see what needed to be paid. I would be chasing the 0% of another credit card. I would be moving things around. I was just like, what do we need to buy groceries today? If we do, what, who can I disappoint so that I can at least please someone? That was my whole life. It was emotionally exhausting, and it lasted, as I've said, for 10 years. And in Ecclesiastes, it says this in verse uh, 11, verse 6. It says, sow your seed in the morning 
and in the evening, for you do not know which will succeed. Made me think about how powerful your first and last words are. You know, a child's first words are always worth celebrating, even if it's poo-poo. Come on, most child's first words is no. <laughs> you want it to be, I love you, Father. But in actual fact, it's no. But it's still amazing. It's an awesome moment when your child's, their first words. Same is true with, with someone's last words. My uncle passed away this week and my dad went to see him, unknowing that it was the day before he was going to pass away. He just went to see him. He was poorly and so he went to see him. And it was super emotional, my dad, because it was the last time he heard his brother, my uncle Rob, say any words. And I was like, what did he say? And so we were chatting it all through. And, you know, your first and last are really important. And I think if you're going to put anything at the start of your day and anything at the end of your day that you're kind of sowing into the day or sowing into your sleep without being too spooky, why not put the word of God in those moments? And then you can reap the fruit. You can see the fruit of that grow in your life. Number three, money relationship fail. You live on credit. The problem with badly managed credit that I discovered is that you borrow from tomorrow to pay for today, which is all right today until you get to tomorrow. Then you need to borrow from the day after tomorrow to pay for tomorrow, today, tomorrow. <laughs> the Bible says in Proverbs 37, 21, the wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. I was caught in a poverty trap having to use credit to survive. I mean, I wasn't buying caviar and gold taps. I was buying groceries, a school uniform, and yet I just never got ahead, and I could never see a way I could get ahead because it got incrementally worse, and I would get paid, and my bank balance would go into the black by a few quid, but then before you know it, I was back in the, in the red, and as I said, it was a difficult season. Number four, you're in survival mode. That's what happened to us. I told you, the atmosphere in this room is doing exactly what I said. It's going, come on, if you've got a, an ember of faith, just, just metaphorically, <laughs> come on, blow it now. I'm going to turn the corner in a minute, I promise you. But we were in survival mode. Survival mode where, you know, if anyone stood up like Matt did before to take the offering and started talking about being generous and putting God first and imagine what God could do in the city and things like that. Because I was in survival mode, I was like, can't even get through the day, mate. I had no room for vision because surviving was the vision. And you're not born to survive. People say things like, I'm a born survivor. This is a different message, but let me just leave this with you. You weren't born to survive. You were born to discover all that God's got for you, even in this area. Can you imagine living fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he's promised in this area in your life? I'm talking about waking up and not worrying about money. I'm talking about thinking about the future, not with fear, but with faith, with an excitement about what God could do instead of what if things go wrong. We were living on credit. Uh, we were in survival mode. Here's another one. You don't understand the power of delay. Delay has genius in it, and waiting is underrated. See, we live in a consumer society where we get what we want now, and if we don't get it now, it's not good. Whereas when we look back over our lives, the most meaningful things in our lives, we didn't get overnight. We're obsessed with get-rich-quick schemes when nothing in your life that's meaningful ever came overnight. Listen to this verse, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Don't be obsessed with getting more material things, but be relaxed with what you have. Since God assures us, I will never let you down, never walk off and leave you. And we can boldly quote, God is there, ready to help. I'm fearless no matter what, who or what can get to me. Proverbs 13, 11 says this in the New Living Translation. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. The sixth sign, and then we're going to turn. That's why the band are coming up and getting ready. 
they're telling me, come on, Reedy, we've got to get to the good bit. <laughs> number six, this is the spiritual version of number five. Number six is you're waiting for God to rescue you. I knew exactly how much God needed to give me in order for me then to be able to put him first to the penny. And so we say, oh, I don't believe in these get-rich-quick schemes, but we do pray prayers like, God, if you could just make me, well, rich and, and do it uh, quick, um, that would be great. And we're waiting for someone to place a hand on us, prophesy over us, you know, bring your bank statements and we'll wave the word of God over them, when in actual fact, God wants to take you on a journey of getting some traction. My life was like a car stuck in the mud. Now, this message is not exclusively for people in debt. This is for people who want to get a great relationship with money. Let me just remind you, don't switch off if you're not in debt. Don't despair if you are, because what happened was we were making a lot of noise. We were expending a lot of energy. I wasn't lazy. I wasn't just kind of blasé about it. I knew exactly the situation that we're in. I just couldn't get out, and we couldn't get any traction, and then something changed. So that was 2005 we started. 2011, Zoe came to me, my wife's called Zoe, and she said, Paul, we need to change the way we pray. And so I said, well, I am the spiritual head of this house, and I will be deciding exactly how we pray. Who do you think you are? No, I didn't really. I was like, okay, love, whatever you say, because I was desperate. She said, we need to stop asking God for help and start thanking him for the fact that he is helping us. And it sounds small, it sounds subtle, it sounds nuanced, but actually it's a completely different perspective. And for us, it was the difference between a, a, a car wheel spinning in the mud and then a big fat chunky piece of wood poof, being stuck under it and then poof, a jolt forward. That's why praise, because gratitude and praise go together. That's why praise is so important to us as a church. We're not trying to be loud for the sake of it. We're not trying to get people jumping because we think we need exercise. I mean, jumping is just the easiest form of dance known to man because you only have to do half of it. This is my standard joke. You've heard it before. You only have to jump up and then gravity does the rest. You know what I'm saying? You come down. Pretty easy. We're not doing it for the sake of it. We're not trying to be American. We're not trying to be loud. We're actually recognizing that praise is powerful. And what happened was we started to thank God and we re-educated our children and my wife re-educated me. And instead of starting our prayers, God, please will you... We started our prayers, thank you, that you. So now if Willow's nervous, my daughter's called Willow. We had another kid eventually. What are we like? Suckers. She's nervous about something at school. She doesn't pray, God, will you help me? I say, come on, let's pray. And she says, God, thank you that you're going to help me today. There's something about gratitude that gets traction. A bit like Pastor Lee's message on week one of this series, contentment. Look at what God has given you. Look at what you're doing. Look at what he's doing in your life and be thankful. So we did that. We started to change. Then we did something that I would like to call bring it into the light. Bring it into the light. In other words, involve another person. When you sweep things under the carpet, God is under the carpet. He can't not see it. You put things in that file on the computer that no one knows about. He's in that file. But the problem is, for me and you, is that he won't kick the door in and force you to talk to him about it. He's waiting for you to bring it into the light. Listen to this, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of, his, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So I would challenge you, as I did, to talk to a person. Do it today. 
Do it this week. Talk to your life group leader, your small group leader. Talk to a friend. The way that looked for me is I was looking at a letter in my office from another creditor asking for more payments and so on. And I was stressed and I didn't know what to do. And I was trying to keep Zoe happy and make sure she didn't know too much. And, and Pastor Stuart, who some of you will know, came into my office and he said, what's that? And I made a decision. 2011, after we decided to, to pray a different way, that I'm just going to give up trying to beat this. I'm just going to, I'm literally going to give up. And I went, there you go. And I showed him. And he frog marched me into Glynn's office. And the three of us sat down and we prayed. And really, that was the second step to me. Spoiler alert 2016. So look at the gap 2011 to 2016. This is not an overnight thing. After I'd had that conversation with Pastor Glynn, still overdrawn still had four credit cards, still was in a mess. But 2016, we got completely out of debt. We have no overdraft. We have no debt at all. And please hear my heart, I'm not showing off. I'm just telling you that with the right steps in place, with one hand in God's and the other in probably a Christian friend or a leader or someone, you can make your relationship with money healthy. Third thing is that we face the facts says in that verse that we read in Romans that Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was 100. And that's what we had to do. And it was cringy and it was awful and it was embarrassing as we put all the statements out on the table. And we actually went to CAP, the organization that Matt was talking about before, that we're doing a, a small group based on their money course. That's happening now. You can go to audaciouschurch.com forward slash finance if you want to access it. And we sat with Cap and we had it all out on the table. All the store cards, credit cards, the whole nine yards. I felt like less than a man. But I tell you what, when you face the facts, plus doing what Abraham did, which is partner that with the truth of God's word, because it says he didn't, he wasn't weakened in his faith in relation to the promise of God. So you can face any facts, no matter how bad they are. You've got a turbulent relationship with your kids and it's not going to go in anywhere. If you sit down and face the facts and just go, okay, this is bad. However, let me just take the truth of the word of God and apply the truth to those facts. Now we get some traction. And the Bible is full of promises for me and you, not just in the area of money, but right across your life. And so we face the facts and then we, we um, how did I word it in my notes? We applied the truth. And I could tell you stories that in the five years from 2011 to 2016 and the five years since then, since we got out of debt, I turned 40 in the summer of 2016, got out of debt. And in the years since then, we've still needed the promises of God because we've been on a journey of discovering all that God's got for us. And sometimes when we thought it was going up, it went down. Sometimes when we thought we were going to go left, it went right. Being a Christian is not cotton wool for your life. It's basically a seatbelt on the roller coaster that says, stay in, enjoy the ride, scream, raise your hands if you want to go faster, but don't get off. So we applied the truth. Then we have to make a decision. And as we come into land, I want you to think about a decision that perhaps some of you need to make, which is to put God first and that you will get out. You will improve. You will have a healthy relationship with money. Can you prophesy into your own future and say there is a day coming where I will have a great relationship with money side note don't make it any worse specifically if you're in debt because one of the things what you do when you're in debt is use more credit to survive and so therefore you get into more debt 
And one of the things we had to decide was we're going we're gonna to cut up the cards. We're gonna, I could not imagine my life without a credit card. Again, this is not me going to Dubai for three weeks on holiday for, for, for laughs. This is me buying groceries. I just couldn't imagine how I was going to do it. But we made a decision, we cut them up, and then we made a plan. And I could talk for another half an hour. I know some of you are like, don't, mate, it's boiling, come on. But I could talk to you for another half an hour or longer about the plan that we were able to come up with, with CAP and with some of our leaders and, 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 and the Holy Spirit. We could, I could tell you the plan, but it's probably not your plan. It was my plan. But I reckon there's a plan for you. And that's why we put all those resources that Matt was telling us about on the website, oracechurch.com forward slash finance is full of resource. We've got webinars coming up on all sorts of things to do with finance, how to buy your first house. We've got webinars on, uh, on um, how to start tithing this Tuesday night. I know if you, you, Lee preached on tithing last week, and if you were convinced by the theology, but just think, well, I don't even know where to start, join me on Tuesday night online because I'm going to go really practical, I'm not having a theological discussion. If you weren't convinced by Lee, then come back to Lee when he's back from holiday and have a round with him. But if you're convinced but you just don't know where to start, join me on Tuesday. We've got seminars on how to talk to your kids about money. We've got seminars about, you know, what you're in a couple and all of a sudden your money's shared with another person. That weird sort of transition. We've got all this stuff. And all you need to do is go to that website. And, um, and I think you can come up with a plan. With you, with God, with a leader, with a friend. And actually move to a place where you can say that I'm living fully persuaded thank you for listening to this audacious podcast for any more information visit us online audaciouschurch.com We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m.